Hello, Mike Murphy is my name, and I'd like to welcome you on behalf of Senior Times to this podcast. Joe O'Donnell is one of my friends and has been for many, many years, and we had Joe on a previous podcast. It was only intended to be one, but uh, Joe was very, very engaging, and uh, all the different things he has done in his life came to pass during that. He has been a magician, he's been an actor, he's been a playwright, he's a poet, he's an amazing man. He became the head of the Department of Young People in RTE. He was one of the first producer directors in the company in RTE. And he also did uh, touring as a young actor around the country in fit-up companies. On our last podcast, he read a couple of essay pieces that he has written, which are maybe going to form a part of a memoir or maybe not. I asked Joe, would he come back? Joe, you're very, very welcome. I know from seeing you at Function that we've been at over the last few years, how much magic has played a part in your life. You stand up at parties and you do pieces and get a wonderful reaction from people. But you have an essay piece for us which actually will will describe for us how you came as a seven-year-old to be introduced to magic. Will you read that essay for us, please? I will certainly, Mike, yes. Magic seems to weave a relentless thread through the chapters of my life, endlessly recurring, endlessly dying as an annual weed, yet inexorably reborning, endlessly sending tender green shoots in a variety of guises. And I can pinpoint with absolute accuracy when it all began. My first experience of the art and craft of the conjurer was when, as a seven-year-old, I saw Edgar Benyon, same man, different clothes, and knew that my life would never be the same again. In most stories, whether fact or fiction, the hero arrives at a turning point in his or her life, a threshold which, when crossed, leads them into a different world. Screenwriters call this turning point the inciting incident, the moment which radically upsets the balance of the hero's life, and we know that life will never be the same again. The spring of 1941 was unusually cold, bringing with it bad weather, rationing and a devastating flu. It also brought to Dublin's capital theatre, Bamboozlem, a magic show featuring the great Edgar Benyon. Seats, expensive seats, were booked in the front row of the dress circle for the adults. But not for me. The show would be unsuitable, the evening performance too late for somebody due to make his first communion in a few months. I was devastated. I whinged, I begged, I craved, I promised, and then I prayed to St. Jude, the patron saint of helpless, or is it hopeless cases? Never underestimate the power of prayer. On Friday morning, one of the party, May Trainer, a civil servant who lived in the flat below, it developed a fever then a chesty cough. By midday, the flu had been diagnosed and suddenly there was a ticket, an expensive ticket going a-begging. It was my baptism of fire into the magic of the theatre and what mighty magic, my friends. From the moment the golden curtain rose on a bevy of dancing beauties until the same curtain fell reluctantly on a truly awesome jungle queen illusion, I was hooked. The pace was breathless. It was said that if you nodded to a friend, you missed a trick. I didn't nod, and I never missed a trick. The highlight of the show was the one-man review. 
In this, Benyon performed in quick succession a bravura series of acts ranging from a Chinese conjurer and Japanese balancer to an English ventriloquist and an Arabian wonder worker. Ten distinct acts, ten complete changes of costume. After each item, Benyon strode off stage only to reappear seconds later in an entirely different costume with his catchphrase, same man, different clothes. Enchantment filled the evening. The tricks on stage, the charm of the music, the colour and sheer excitement of show business. It was my first experience of theatre and my induction into its special magic. And there was magic galore. Flowers miraculously filled an empty stage. Doves, rabbits and ducks miraculously appeared and equally miraculously disappeared. A real live lion vanished in a puff of smoke. The fact that the programme said it was a jungle-bred lion added more than a frisson of terror to the illusion. But his most popular act was the inexhaustible magic store, where from a tiny and allegedly empty magic grocery store, Benyon produced endless goodies, including packets of tea and cigarettes, which he hurled into the audience. Remembering that this was at the austere height of the Second World War rationing, and these goods were worth their weight in gold. Benyon, a New Zealander, first toured Ireland as part of Duffy's Circus in the early 30s and vowed to return, but his incredible popularity in Britain prevented it until fate took a hand. He had just turned 40 when the Second World War broke out. Bamboozler was playing South Sea when the military moved in, closed the theatres and sandbagged the pier. Benyon packed his show in a gigantic trailer and set off for neutral Ireland. As livestock were not permitted to travel, there was a tearful farewell as the white doves were set free over the town and the rabbits, goldfish and canaries distributed among local admirers. Edgar Benyon toured Ireland during the 40s and 50s and the name of his show, Bamboozlem, became a byword for somebody who could perform miracles. Although the illusionist's name was Benyon, it was the show that was called The Great Bamboozlem, but few people in Ireland, and the show played the length and breadth of the country, would have known him as anything other than Bamboozlem. It even made its way into the Doyle Report when a TD pouring scorn on the 1972 finance bill referred to the minister's expectations as needing the magic kettle used by Bamboozlem to pour out an unending stream of different drinks, although palpably empty. In the case of Edgar Benyon, it reflects the affection with which Benyon and his magic were and are still held throughout the length and breadth of the country. After that night's performance, I was hooked. Lying in bed late that night, I knew with all the certainty of a seven-year-old that I had been touched with magic, that something significant had happened. Edgar Benyon, the great bamboozlem, had turned the key to a world of miracles and a lifetime of astonishment and delight. And life, for a seven-year-old, could never be the same again. And what did you do? You, did you just start writing away for magic books? Or? Well, I was only seven years old and yeah. I really didn't know. Um, I did get a magic book in, in Woolworths, which was <laughs> not very much use, but at least it introduced me to card tricks. And I started then. Um, later on, I 
in one of the, the comics, there was a page of ads in the back and it said uh, that there was a, a unit called the Boys Magic Club centred in Wales and you could uh, send for the catalogue. I sent for the catalogue and uh, the man who ran it called Mr. Ree. Mr. Ree, <laughs> our sweet Mr. Ree of life. Mr. Ree of life. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Ree said I could join the, the uh, Boys Magic Club, uh, which I did. And this got me uh, a wand and it got me a, a magazine called The Trixie every month for a year. And I learned an awful lot from the Trixie and indeed from uh, the waving of the wand. Um, then I began to purchase various other tricks and make up other tricks indeed. And I became useful in the school, Joey's where I was, uh, where we always had football or hurling. Joey's was a great GAA uh, school and... Um, that was on the Thursday afternoon and I hated the games. But if it was raining really hard, we wouldn't go over to Fairview Park. We would be back in the schoolroom uh, doing extra homework maybe. So I put it to the brother at the time. I said I could slip home and get my magic case and do some magic for the boys and the boys loved it, of course, you know, getting <laughs> of off, they do. Getting off all the, the extra homework. So I would run home and get tricks and bring them and do a, a magic show for the boys, uh, for the rest of the, the class. And this led to all sorts of other things. There was uh, a friend of my mother's, Mrs. Kahneman, who had a butcher shop in Glasnevin. And she said she was friendly with the parish priest of Father George Henry. Uh, Father George was a, a gnomish little man with white hair. I, I didn't meet him then, but she said he was a magician too. And that he, uh, he was a ventriloquist as well. And he used to give the sermon uh, with a ventriloquist doll in the pulpit of the, uh, the church during Mass. I would have given my right arm to see this. But anyway, she introduced me to uh, Father George, who was a lovely man, and said he'd like to see me perform sometime. So he agreed uh, on a night where I would go out Wednesday night. Now, it was during Lent. There was a, an Easter retreat going on and uh, it was done by the Dominicans. So when I arrived later, it was after the, the, the retreat had been and these three Dominicans in white robes and a white cowl were sitting there like the Inquisition <laughs> at this TV. I was terrified and Father George said, okay, fire away and do your tricks. And I did, I did my little routines of tricks and the cut and restored rope and the six-card repeat and all this. And the, they loved it, they loved it. And then, remember, this was during Lent, uh, a very, very, a woman who was very like, possibly, the Mrs. Doyle from Father Ted came in with a big tray of sandwiches, enormous sandwiches. And the lads <laughs> go on, belted go on, into go these. On. And um, he, he um, uh, Father George said, dig in there, you're a grown lad. And I said, well, remember, this was a, this was a Lent. I said, we were a very strict Catholic family and we had had our, uh, our w one meal and two collations. And he said, ah, no, he said, you're a little granite. And I dug into these sandwiches as well. So <laughs> Father George then said, why didn't I join the Society of Irish Magicians? I'd never heard of it. I thought I was alone. 
in the place. I was the only magician there, never realizing there was not only one, but two societies of magicians in Dublin. So he gave me an introduction to a man called uh, Ned Thorpe, who was a professional magician. And uh, I had seen, I had actually seen Ned Thorpe in the capital on the stage. And he was, yeah, oh, he was a, a very smooth performer. So he signed and Father George signed and I joined the Society of Irish Magicians as a junior member. I also joined the Mystic Circle, which was another one there. They met in Parnell Square over the Teachers Club in Parnell Square. And uh, from then I, I just went on and on. I was working at that time as a clerk, a junior clerk in TNC Martins. And I was earning more on the weekend doing gigs from magic than I was. And then TNC Martins. TNC Martins. And although my original ambition had been to be a, a commercial traveller for TNC Martins, I liked the car and I liked the suits. And I liked the guys who floated in on the Monday morning with their orders and that. And I said, this is for me, not sitting up on a high stool doing... <laughs> <laughs> doing invoices, um, so uh, I, but I, I did I did uh, I, I used to two to three shows on the Saturday. That was the great night, going from one to the other, and then I'd had maybe one or two, maybe a children's show in the afternoon. Yeah. And I was earning quite a bit for this. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. We spoke in the last podcast we did, Joe, about um, your times in the fit-ups and the theatre and going around the country and so on. But I also mentioned in passing when uh, when I was introducing you that you you became one of the first producer directors in RTE uh, in television, and you had quite a career within the broadcasting organisation, didn't you? Did you join as a trainee, um, a studio I trainee? I, I was. I was doing very well in Dublin as a, a stage manager, stage manager, stage director. Uh, there were three of us at that. We got all the big jobs, whether they were musicals or operas or anything. We, there were three of us and we got these and they were well paid. But then it began to die off. I, something to do with the economic situation at the time and work became more, more and more difficult to get. So I saw the ad for uh, looking for trainees for RTE and I applied. I thought, 
when I got the job as a trainee, that I would be going, as I was a stage manager, I would automatically go to be a floor manager. Not at all. I was put behind a camera as a trainee cameraman. I had never seen a camera, a television camera in my life. And these were the big, heavy ones, Mike. You remember, they were on Vinton pedestals. They They were were very heavy things. Like a tank. Tank, you'd have been around. And I was was put under the great care of two dear, dear friends. One of them departed, unfortunately, Barry Kelly and Max Mulvell. And... uh, my very first day and they couldn't believe it because they had worked with me before when I was stage manager in theatre shows that they were filming in the thing uh, but uh, I was I was a genuine I was a genuine trainee cameraman so they said uh, uh, come on out and they went out they were doing uh, sort of Nixers, let's call it that. And uh, on my first day in RTE I went out and I did a Nixer with them and uh, I got 10 quid for it Again. More than you had earned in TNC TNC more, more than I'd earned in, in, in yes, and, yeah. and more certainly more than I was being paid in RTE because uh, once I went into RTE, I I was I was in the in the uh, in the uh, revenue commissioner's uh, minnet more or yeah. less, and they began to take money that I, it was due to them, shall we say, and uh, I was being docked something like five pounds a week by the revenue commissioners for a long time. Yeah. Next morning, I was on. Uh, 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 Another another interview, this was being recorded, and again, my hands were shaking. But I got it. And within a week, I was actually doing live shows as without, a cameraman. Without shaking. Without shaking. Um, so from there, I went, uh, eventually, I got in uh, as, a, as a floor manager and a vision mixer. There was a, a dual-purpose cow at that time. Somebody thought it was a good idea that you were able to do two jobs at the one time, which, which was floor manager and uh, vision mixer. So then um, they, they brought in a raft of uh, vision mixers, of new new vision mixers, trainee vision mixers, and one of them really took my fancy. Uh, I was uh, given to her as a, a mentor, and uh, I trained her. It turned out to be... Uh, a young lady called Tina, Tina Devitt. And, uh, well, uh, to make, cut a long story short, we we got married. And um, th- that was... You sure did. 53, 54 years ago. 54 years ago. Yeah. Poor Tina just passed away. She did, indeed, in yes. The, in yes, she, the past, when? She, she How long ago? Uh, six months ago. Yeah, six months. And... Um, so we had a we had a very happy we had a very happy time. I must we, tell you about t- Tina. You know, you know how fond I was of Tina. You know, and um, we've been great friends for so many years. But when I started off doing um, the likes of Mike, oh, which yes, was the first yes. series I, I did, that. which, as I often say, received mixed critical acclaim. <laughs> it was hammered by the critics, and yes, I was yeah. really self conscious being in studio yeah, doing the yeah. series. And I really was self-conscious. You know, I felt, oh, God, I'm not able for this. I'm not good enough to do this and all that. And I was really kind of shy and kind of, it it was tough going for me, you know, and particularly getting hammered in the newspapers. I was only young at the time and that. But anyway, Tina used to come out on the gantry way above the studio floor and she'd come out every every time we were in there to record. And she'd come out, Mike, how are you doing? It's going great, you're doing terrific, great to see you. And she'd send me greetings from there. And it always boosted my confidence. She was just so lovely. 
Yeah. So you had a long and very happy long, marriage very, with Tina, very, didn't yes, you? Yes, yeah. And, and I must say, uh, RTE was very good to us uh, in, in, in many ways. We, Tina did a lot of the big shows, including a lot of the Eurovision shows, the uh, RTE entries for the Eurovision. And I... Well, got to do what I wanted to do. I thought the the children were being very. Uh, it, was, it was being put to the side and and children's programming. Children's programming, and uh, eventually I managed to I think embarrass the powers that be to establish it as a separate department. It had been then uh, a joint department. It was first of all women and childrens, and then it was Irish and childrens, and it always got the the, the tail end of the budget, yeah. shall we say? But this I got them into a. a, a an absolute department, young people's department. And I stayed with that for quite a did while. You, did you persuade the powers that be to, to create I did. a young it was, people's it was the, department? It was for the UNESCO, was it, Year of the Child? Oh, I see, yeah. And I had uh, I, I had been uh, representing RTE in the children's programmes in the EBU. And I was... I, I made sure that uh, there was pressure put from a lot of the uh, Europeans to say that, look, RT deserves uh, the children. Deserve, everybody else has a, a, a special yeah. children's and department. Did, and were you appointed head of the Young People's Programme? I wasn't, no, but that's another story. Um, no, I wasn't. I, I, I kind of thought I might be, but uh, 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 somebody was brought in from Canada and they had a PhD in children's programs. They had never been in a television studio, but they did have, and they got, I was asked at the interview, yeah, okay, uh, what, you, you want to do children's programs? Yes. And I gave my whole reason for that. And uh, what programs do you not like? And I said, well, I don't particularly like current affairs and I'm not very good, although I love the Irish language. I don't like it because I think it's, it, 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 it is a poisonous thing in the Irish language at the moment and that. Well, the first programs, I got were the Irish language programmes. <laughs> and, and current affairs. <laughs> and this act was current affairs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, eventually I, I, I managed to get through and, uh, well, it was made head of uh, the department. Yeah. And that was, that was to me, it was, a, it was a rich time because now I... Um, what year was this? What, uh, about? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Was it the like 70s, 80s? It was the 70s, I think definitely. it was the 70s, It was yeah. the 70s, yes. And there was Wanderley Wagon. There was Did you create Wanderley Wagon? No, I didn't actually. What happened was Wanderley Wagon was created by the famous Don Lennox, a mad producer from Canada who, again, loved children's programs. And he created this um, with a writer called John O'Donovan. And uh, it ran for one or two seasons. And then Don Lennox went over to Britain to pick up another job. And as was the customary at the time, when the producer left the show, the show was dropped. And uh, I loved Wanderley because I had been a floor manager on it for a long time. I knew Eugene Lambert very well, had written a number of plays for his puppets. And I, did, I vowed that the first thing that if ever I got back, I would bring back Wanderley Wagon. And I did. And uh, I brought back Wanderley Wagon. That, that's why I didn't, I changed it a bit. You know, there were things that, did, that needed to be changed and that. But uh, other than that, I also... I hate the word create, but I, I started uh, Bosco. In fact, I was known as Bosco's daddy. <laughs> and whenever, whenever I, was, I was in the news... Does it, does, does it embarrass you now? It did. When it you, does. Now, when you hear it. No, it did, did you, at the time. I didn't at the time. I didn't mind it like at the time. But uh, um, when... when uh, 
whenever I would uh, make the news in any other in, in a short story or in uh, some some sort of prize I might have won, and they would also may, always mention, "Oh, you'll have to be have a photograph of you at Bosco." <laughs> <laughs> Which Tina, God love her, God rest her, hated, hated. <laughs> Bosco's dodgy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, but Bosco is still alive and well and touring the country. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, Bosco was huge. And I mean, look, there are a couple of generations of children who, who loved Bosco. <laughs> I mean, they did. Not to mention his daddy. Yes. Her daddy. Is Bosco a man or a woman? Well, now you see, that's the big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, so Bosco, you did Bosco. What else did you do in that? Did you, you did comedy as well, didn't you? Bring comedy in. I mean, didn't I did. you bring Jerry Stembridge and... Yes, uh, um, uh, with uh, a program called Hullabaloo, which uh, which was part written by... by um, by Shea Healy and starred Shea Healy and Pat Inglesby, the poet, and those two great comics from Limerick, uh, Tom, Tom and Pascal. Pascal. I should remember. I well, thought they were Tom great. and Pascal yeah, and were, were so lovely. Unique. They were lovely guys. I was very fond of the pair of them. That when uh, uh, somebody was doing the Eurovision uh, for, our, for, for Ireland, and I said, You have to have these on. Now, they didn't get on because they said, No, no, no. Thanks be to God. I thought they were <laughs> so unique. Yeah, they Tom were. and Pascal. I don't know whether. Look at the dust and the know. turkey was enough. Yeah. Tom and Pascal. <laughs> I thought they were wonderful. They they, they were really and they, well anyway, Shea, Shea Healy, Tom and Pascal, Marion Richardson, and uh, um, quite quite a few of them. Oh yes, and it had the um, it had a great band with Bill Whelan and all of the 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 uh, the. The famous sort of uh, the session musicians, session musicians. Oh, Desi Reynolds and Desi, Desi Reynolds. Moore and all it was these a great guys. band. Richie Buckley yeah. and Shea used to write a parody every every week. Yeah, uh, of a musical, and uh, Bill and the band used to do it, and it was marvelous. Bill had reservations about doing parodies of very famous songs. As all good yes. musicians do, but it was worked a treat. And I then think. Bill went on to do River Dance. Bill went on, yes, to write and a little thing many called other River things. Dance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it, when you when you think isn't back on amazing? the names, yeah. the Pat Inglesby's, the Shea Healy's, yeah. Jerry Stembridge, all these. Yes, yes. You know, and they loved working on these programs. It meant an awful lot to them, it, and it was an incredible springboard think, for them. I think because I allowed them to, to take chances, Mike. Yeah, you know, and uh, okay, if it didn't work. Well, we didn't do it again, you know. Yeah. But but we 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 allowed. So you had freedom to do that kind yeah. of thing, didn't you? Though? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was I was I wanted a new sort of groups or small bands or that. And uh, um, there was a, a young man called Louis Walsh, yeah. who used to ring me up and say, "Look, I've got a great here's here's a there's a great singer called Mary Black, but she doesn't perform under Mary Black. She has." Two brothers and they perform under General Humbert. Would you like that? And I said, yes, yeah, sure. Because Louis always gave me really good yeah. uh, new ones. People <laughs> that no, nobody that I ever had seen before. And they yeah. they, they they were good. Uh, when did you when did you leave RTE? Uh 1991. 91, yeah. Yeah. 91. Um, for no great reason other than other than that, um I I wasn't doing the sort of stuff that I wanted to do. 
Yeah. And of course, the night I left it, I went for dinner with uh, uh, John and John McColgan and Moya, Moya Doherty, and they offered me a whole series of freelance programs from Tyrone Productions that they were doing. And although I had said I was not going to do it again, I immediately took them up because, yeah. again, they gave me the freedom to do yes. this. I, I remember, Joe, you did one which never came to pass um, on Cecil Sheridan. That's and it was right. when you when you were talking back there in the yeah. piece that you did earlier on and you mentioned the Capitol Theatre. And of course it brings one back to those times Absolutely. when when you go to the Capitol Theatre or you went to the Theatre Royal and you got a stage show uh, with a full orchestra yes. and then you had the movie. Movie and possibly the organist in between for a sing-song. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Who, who was? Norman, Norman Metcalf. Norman Metcalf and the Bouncing Ball. And the Bouncing and then, Ball. And then you yes. had Jimmy Campbell and his orchestra in the yes. Theatre Royal, wasn't it? And a big orc too. But and Cecil, the Royalettes. And uh, the Royalettes yes, dancing. Yeah. Up there were the rock, the Rockettes became yeah. the imitation of yes, the Royalettes. Yeah. But um, it, was, it was a different Dublin then. It was a different theatre scene. That was when, the t- when TV began. It was the Danny Commonses, the mm. Cecil Sheridans and so on, who were appearing Maureen Potter for Jimmy O'D yes. for many many yeah, years and yeah. then it all changed listen Joe it's been a pleasure talking to you and really your your presence and the fact that you are so articulate and have such a good memory you're I mean I I, I don't want to emphasize the fact that you're 87 years of age but it's a pleasure to have you and it's a pl- wonderful to hear your reminiscences and and thank you for joining us on this podcast and just bringing a breath of fresh air into our lives. Thank you, Mike, and indeed it has been a pleasure to be this side of the microphone. Joe O'Donnell there, and this is Mike Murphy thanking you for being with us and on behalf of Senior Times saying goodbye. <laughs>